The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Good morning. It's good to be here with you. Um, I am a local... Sorry, get this out of the way. If you're looking at me thinking, what, what's wrong with that guy's head? Uh, two things. One is that's how God's made me. Second thing is my glasses are missing an arm. So if you're looking at me strangely during the service, let's just get it out of the way. We're all on the same page now, right? That's just how it is. All right, we're going to live with that. Uh, I am a local. I just live down the road at Mitchie. Uh, that's still part of Brisbane, I think. Uh, so I know some of you guys have been connected to Kyle for a while. And as, uh, as Luke said as well, we've had the privilege of knowing the kites for quite a while. Um, so Reach Australia, very similar to Acts 29. Our hope is to see thousands of healthy, evangelistic, multiplying churches across Australia. Um, and so what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3 particularly around what Paul's perspective on the local church is. Um, Acts 29, Reach Australia, uh, absolutely committed to the fact that the local church, the local church is the place that God is gathering people. It is the hope for the world uh, in Christ. And so we're going to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 3 today uh, and just to see what it is, be reminded hopefully of what it is that Paul is doing. Now listen, if this is your first time uh, at Life Centre Church here, uh, my encouragement is, uh, come back next week. This is not what it's always like. I say, come back next week, particularly if you don't enjoy today. Um, I apologise. Resume normal programming next week. Uh, but we are going to open God's Word now. How about I read this, and then we're just going to unpick it. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, and particularly we're going to explore verse 10. Um, uh, so Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. I'm reading from what is the, the, called the CSB. You might have a different version. Sorry if they're slightly different. But here's God's word. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, you've heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you. The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've briefly written above. By reading this, you're able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may be made known to the, uh, through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose, accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confidence, access through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. Now we'll just pray briefly. Father, we give you thanks for um, the Lord Jesus who makes us who we are in his death, in his resurrection. And we give you thanks as well for the church, the place that you are calling people to. We give you thanks that you don't save us into individuality, but into community. And so we pray as we hear what Paul says about the church and about what you are doing through it, that we might be reminded uh, about the eternal purpose that we have here 
Amen. Now, if I was to, uh, to ask you, uh, what is it in the world that points the wisdom of God? Now, if you're a Christian, you might have a particular list of things that you would be talking to people about. If you're not a Christian, uh, you might have a list of things that people have spoken to you about if they were to point to the wisdom of God in the world. It might be, for some people, it's this idea of, you know, that illustration you might have heard about that you're walking through a field and you find a, a watch in the, the field and you pick it up and no one thinks if they find a watch, this just magically appeared here. Somehow all the elements of this watch just magically fell together in this intricate piece of engineering and it just happened. No one had anything to do with it. It's an accident. It may be that you think, well, well the way in which the world is designed the, the mathematical calculations that underpin our life, the, the distance that we are from the sun, the, the rotation of the earth, all these things so fine-tuned so as to sustain life may point to this amazing mind behind it, this God who sits behind it and his wisdom. That, that may be where you're at. I remember holding my first child. I've got three boys. Holding my first child and thinking there's been nine months where I've seen this happening, growing, amazing. And here he is, so precious and tiny. How did something that didn't exist nine months ago exist now in my hands? It, it is phenomenal that that can happen. It's phenomenal. It happened three times for me. It, it's amazing. There must be someone behind it with wisdom and power to make this happen. For some people as well, Paul, uh, the apostle goes here, they might point to the wisdom of God in Jesus. Paul talks about this in Corinthians and he, he says the, the gospel is the, the power and wisdom of God. That is, how is it, how is it that God could save sinners who did not deserve to be saved while not punishing them? How can he bear just God and deal with sin but justify people and not destroy them in that? And so the cross shows us actually he can deal with sin while still saving people by pouring that wrath out on himself. Now, you may look at that and say, well, that, there's the wisdom of God right there. Now, if I, if I did a poll, you tell me if this is right. If I did a poll, 100 people walking down the street and said, tell me what points to the wisdom of God. If you're a Christian, what points to the wisdom of God? They might reach to any one of those things or something else. I can nearly guarantee you, 99 times out of 100, the thing that they would not point to, if I was to ask them to say, tell me the thing that shows that God is wise, the thing they would not point to is the church. They just wouldn't. The, the media does not like the church. The church has a, a bad rap at the moment. People would not point to the church. Even, even Christians these days sometimes have a narrative of, look, Big fan of Jesus, the church not so much. Let's just separate out those two. Jesus I'll hold close, the church I'll keep at arm's length. But the idea that you can love Jesus but, but not his church is a strange one to Paul and should be a strange one to us. So it is important that we understand when Paul talks about the cosmic significance of the church, what he's talking about, that we feel the weight of that. We need to understand what he means when he talks about church as well, so we're not importing things into it that he doesn't mean. 
But you see in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 here, if you've got to make sure you're opening, so you're looking at what I'm looking at, I'm not saying things that it doesn't say. But you can see when you look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, what Paul thinks. He thinks that the church is God's manifold, multifaceted wisdom on display, not just for mankind, not just for our world, but for cosmic powers and realities looking on. That angels and demons look at the church and think that is unbelievable. I would never have seen that coming. I would not have thought that someone could do that. Paul genuinely thought that about the church. Now, why is the question? Why did he think that? Let me just rule out two things up front. First is this. It's not because at this stage, when Paul was writing, in about 62 AD, it's not because the church was glorious. Nero was the, was the emperor at this time. The church across most of the Roman Empire was fledgling. It was persecuted. Uh, it was small. It looked like, if you were in the church, it felt like you could be wiped out at any point. It felt like you were on a knife's edge, if you're a Christian. They owned no buildings. They had no influence. They were nobodies. So God's wisdom in the church then doesn't lie in its position of influence within society. It can't be that. Here's the second thing it can't be. It can't be as well that those communities that existed back then were perfect examples of community with perfect people in them. It can't be that either. All you need to do is read Paul's letter to the church in Corinth to realise that is not true. You'll feel a whole lot better about your church if you read Corinthians, let me tell you. It cannot be that the church was perfect. In fact, that church in in Corinth was just a hot mess. It's worse than any church I've ever engaged with, and I've seen a lot of churches. But this is popular theme in some Christian circles, that what we need to do is get back to that original church in Acts, and everything will be okay. Can I say, the church in Acts had exactly the same problems that we had right now. The church in the early days had exactly the same problems that we had now. They just did it without air conditioning. That's the only difference. Same people, same problems. But what it can't be here, Paul can't be saying that the wisdom of God is because there are perfect communities with perfect people in it. And it can't be that there is this institutional influence the church has that demonstrates God's wisdom. They, They aren't the things that existed then. So then... What wisdom is God displaying in the church that Paul is so convinced about in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10? What is he seeing that we miss? What is he seeing that we need to see, that we need to understand? If you're a Christian, this is key to us understanding what it looks like to be part of God's people. If you're not a Christian, you're here. It's important to understand what it is that Christians are saying when we talk about church and what you should be looking for and what we shouldn't be looking for. So let's just go back a little bit uh, from Paul to see how he's landed here in this Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Because what Paul is seeing here in the church is the seeds of a solution to a problem that has been plaguing mankind since the very beginning. And he is seeing here the beginning of what God God is doing, not just now, but into eternity. Cleaning up a problem and creating a new solution. A few years ago, um, 
my, at home, Imichi, we've, uh, my wife works underneath the house in the garage. Um, she's got an office there, uh, and clients come through. She's a speechy, and so clients come through the garage into her office at the back. Um, but a couple of years ago, one of my sons was um, in the garage. There's a dartboard in the garage. He was throwing darts. And I've got three boys. So boys, modus operandi is just destroying stuff. Here's a dart. What do I do with it? I will throw it at things as hard as I possibly can, over the car sometimes, you know, at a wall. Anyway, he's throwing this dart at the dartboard, throws it as hard as he possibly can. He misses the dartboard, because that's a, the point is not to get the dartboard, it's just to throw it. He misses the dartboard, hits the concrete wall, the dart falls down onto the floor where there happened to be a can, a spray can of red paint, a spray can of paint. And Jacqueline from her office hears this explosion. <laughs> Running out, expecting to see something terrible, a wall blown out, you know, our dog just in five pieces. I don't know what she was expecting here. What she saw on the ground was this spray can, well, it was just red at that point, uh, across this smear, across from where the spray can had been pierced by a dart and exploded across the garage. Red paint all over the floor. She runs out, gets a rag, starts wiping it. No, done. Just our entire floor now, as her clients come in, just looks like a scene from CSI Mitchelton. It's just like a kind of this blood spray. It just makes them a little, you've got to put people on edge when they come into your house, don't you? But every point she got a rag, tried to clean it up, it just pushed it further and further out. It's still there. It cannot be removed. It's not going anywhere. Now, here is what Paul has been seeing. The history of mankind is listed with that. Just spreading the problem around, trying to find solutions that never work in an ongoing way. Just think back with me right to the very beginning, to Adam and Eve. Just think right back to the start there. Here are God's people, perfect relationship with one another. In the garden, everything is going well. Perfect community, nothing divided them. And then in Genesis 3, we all know the story, don't we? We know what happens there. The, the dart pierces a spray can. Everything starts to unravel. Mess goes everywhere. People are disconnected from their creator. They're disconnected from each other. Society is broken. And you just see it begin to unravel out. And we keep thinking we can clean it up. We keep thinking, no, no, no. We think if we just work harder on ourselves... We'll place new structures around our communities. We can fix these problems. We can get back to Eden. The problem is, the more they try, the worse it gets. There is no solution there. And you, you see this again and again. You, you live long enough, you see this again and again in solution. Our society will fixate on a problem. So if we just fix that, everything else will fall into place. If we can just sort that one out, everything else will fall into place. Now, the reality is it never works like that. It's just playing whack-a-mole. You just kind of hit one, another one comes up. Hit that one, and another one comes up. And all because we cannot deal with the root of the problem. We're dealing with the symptoms here. Because it's too confronting for us to say, the problem is not out there, the problem is in here. That is too confronting. It's much easier if I can just deal with the problem out there. It's much easier if you can just give me five steps to improving my life, and I'll do them. But if you say to me, no, 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 here's a problem you cannot fix, which lies at the heart of every other problem, 
and you can't do a single thing about it. It's too confronting. It's too hard. Yeah, it's at this point that we begin to understand and see what problem Paul, as he's been talking about Ephesians, needs to fix and how it impacts community. Because when he looks at the church, what Paul sees is broken people who have been saved into a new community. Not where they're perfect, but where they see the hope of what will be. It is the tangible evidence for Paul, the local church, the tangible evidence that God is undoing the brokenness that we all know exists, that we couldn't fix ourselves, and that he can. So Paul looks at the church, and what he sees is people being reconciled back to their creator and to each other. He sees the beginning of hope. He sees the renewal of creation back to what it should be, with us included not discarded. And it's grappling with how Paul sees that. That should blow our mind. Look with me at Ephesians 3 here. See, the task Paul says in verses 4 and 5 that he'd been given, and the reason he's under house arrest in Rome is because he is proclaiming and has been proclaiming to what he refers to as this mystery in verse 3 that's been waiting since creation broke to be revealed. So he says, verse 3, he says, The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've briefly uh, written above. And by reading this, you're able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations that's now been revealed. But that is, verse 6, the Gentiles, that is, people who aren't Jews, are co-heirs, members of the same body and partners in the promise of Christ Jesus. Now, Here is a new community being created, he's saying. People who previously weren't connected with God and God's people now are. How will God fix the brokenness in this world? How do we get to a point where communities don't keep turning on each other? How do we stop the hurt and pain that wells up in each of us over time and spills out into our relationships and our lives? How do we unite back to God? And how will God reunite us back to himself? Well, Paul says, just jump back, Ephesians chapter 1, if you've got it there, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, this is where it begins. Paul says, in him, that is in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. Forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ, as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. There's the mystery unveiled there, right there. God redeems, he buys back with his very own blood, he wipes away the sin, his undeserved gift to a wayward world and a wayward people in order that they might be right with him and connected to each other again. And he makes it known to them. He's bringing them back in Jesus. Paul's whole message, in fact, and the reason he is in jail, we see in verse 1 in chapter 3, is because of this, that he has been telling people, you can be connected to God again. Salvation is not just for the Jews, it's for everyone who place their trust in Jesus. The church of God, the people of God, are no longer one people, one race, one culture. It's anyone who would put their faith in Jesus. You are not born into this family, you are adopted. 
Now, for everyone hearing what Paul is to say here, when he's reading this, it's either outrageous or it's mind-blowing. Now, if you're a Jew, it's confronting. You think, well, I, I am the people of God. I, I'm part of the people of God. And what are you saying now that, that I need to be adopted into a family I'm already adopted into? You know, imagine if I sat my boys down and said, boys, mum and I, after long conversations, uh, have decided that after all these years, you can now be called our sons. After all these years. So if you want to tell people that, that would be fine. That would be a strange conversation to have with our boys, wouldn't it? But that must be how the Jews are feeling. We, we are the people of God. Now, Paul, you're telling us you know, we can be the people of God still. Is it? No, no, you've misunderstood what it meant to be in God's family. It wasn't culture. It wasn't race. It's adoption. It's always been adoption. But for the Gentiles, they're hearing this. They say, well, we were once nobodies. We were excluded. And now we can be the people of God in equal standing with anyone else, including the Jews. That's mind-blowing. That is mind-blowing. Now, the reason neither of them, particularly the Jews, were grappling with what it looked like, the profound nature of this church community, was because they didn't understand their sin and how much it cost God to bring them together. They did not understand their sin. They didn't understand, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, that they weren't just mildly ill with sin. It wasn't just something that affected a small part of their existence. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, they were dead in their sin. They were dead in their sin. Now, I don't think I always believe that, to be honest. I don't think I always believe that I'm dead. I just think I'm mildly broken. At points, I think I'm pretty broken. But most of the time, because of the comfortable life that I live, I can generally convince myself that I'm only mildly broken and then I can deal with it myself. Paul says, no, no, no. No, you were dead. You were dead. You were dead. And so two things I've had to grapple with myself in this area. First, I need to grapple with the deep sense of offence that my sin has caused God and how broken I am in that. And secondly, I need to grapple with, if I'm going to see that, I need to see the extent that God went to in order to save me. If it wasn't that serious, the solution wouldn't have been that drastic. That sing, song we sang before, my, my sin is great. Sometimes that's all we can see for some people, that your sin is great. But what was the next line after that? His grace is much deeper, much wider, much greater. The more I see my sin, not fixating on it, but understanding it, the more I understand grace. And at that point, being brought into a relationship with other people who also understand not just their sin and brokenness, but the amazing grace of God, those people in a community together begin to model and understand something very different from what the world models, don't they? Very, very different. Very different. When Paul looks at the church, what he sees are those new people, Jews, Gentiles, everyone, that God has poured out, in verse 8 there, the incalculable riches of his grace in Christ upon them. People who were dead but now are alive. People who 
were alienated from God, but who are now drawn near. People who were enemies of God and are now his children. People who were broken and who are now being put back together by grace. Together around their creator, who is their father, because of Jesus. That is the church that sits at the centre of God's eternal purposes, not just temporal purposes. Like we, we often will transact with church as if it's a moment in our week. But Paul in verse 11 here says, no, this is according to God's eternal purposes which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. For you to be here today, for you to be part of Life Seminar Church is part of God's eternal purpose. Not just for you individually, but for you corporately. From Paul's perspective, when he looks at the church, he sees the beginning of eternal hope. The beginning of a new community. Not based around transactional relationships, but based around grace. That is what Paul sees. Just three things on this as we finish here. First, when we talk about the church, we should not be talking about an institution. We aren't talking about an institution. Paul has no concept of denominations. No concept of denominations. Denominations aren't evil, they're problematic, they're helpful. But that, that's not how he thinks about the church. Those things are not eternal. You may or may not know, the Presbyterian Church of Queensland, which I'm a part of, has been going through a few financial problems the last couple of years. It's been very, very painful for a lot of people. Now, it may be that in the next 20 years, for some reason, I hope it's not, I'm working towards it and it's not, maybe the Presbyterian Church in Queensland in its current form uh, uh, closes and does not exist anymore. Is that sad? Yeah, it's sad. Will that affect God's eternal purposes? Not in any way. Not in any way. Not in any way. No, the church is not an institution. Denominations will come and go. Parachurch organisations that I work for, like Reach Australia, will come and go as well. We serve the local church. But it is you, gathered together, and the cosmic church of God over all space and time, they are the things that God is doing. It's not an institution. Second, God is growing his church and he will finish what he started. Now, it might feel hard sometimes in Australia where you do feel like if you're a Christian and part of the church, uh, particularly if you've been a part of the church for 30, 40 years, you might remember what things were like 30, 40 years ago. Now, we, we need to remember if we we're around that long ago. We might, you need to remember th- things weren't as perfect as we remember them, them to be. Uh, they really weren't. But certainly there are more people involved in church and certainly society had a different perspective on church than they do now. Certainly the church doesn't cop it from them, didn't cop it from the media back then as they do now. Um, but in the last 30 years, the narrative is often pushed that the church is dying, that we have outgrown our need for God, that church is an archaic thing, that being part of this community. There are other communities you could be part of. Do we need this one? The problem with that narrative is twofold. Here's the first one. The problem is, actually, even in Australia, it doesn't seem to be true. The church is not dying in Australia. It's just not happening. Uh, I work with churches across Australia. 
Uh, and while we see less people uh, ticking Christian on the census form, we know people do that, in part that's just a clarification of people not feeling like they have to tick that anymore if they don't believe it. But even though we see less people ticking that, that's actually less a uh, reaction to Jesus and historical uh, Christian roots and more reaction to the trust in the institution of the church. That institutional church that has been in the Royal Commission, people don't want to be associated with that. Now, at the same time, we actually see the number within church of people searching for meaning of being within church itself as rising. The number of people in churches across Australia is increasing. Second is this. It's not only not true in Australia, it's also not true across the globe. It's just simply not true. There's a study done uh, last year Uh, or maybe the year before, on global Christianity, and here's some of the stats, the things that it revealed globally, Christian church across the world. Number one, religious faith is growing faster than the irreligious. So the number of all uh, religious people is growing at 1.27%. The growth of non-religious is growing at minus 0.52%, well below population. In particular, the number of people who would say they're an atheist is stagnant, stagnant, only growing at 0.18%. Now, these are just stats, I know that, but people are behind these stats. So, there's number one. Christianity continues to grow. Uh, 1.17 growth rate, almost 2.56 billion people identify as Christians in 2022. By 2050, that's expected to be 3.33 billion. Growth is fastest in the global south. So, Christianity, particularly in Africa, is exploding, absolutely exploding. And Christianity, finally, continues to spread out. In 1900, 95% of all Christians lived in a majority Christian country. Uh, In 2022, that number has fallen to 53.7%. By 2050, most Christians, 50.4%, around the world will live in a non-majority Christian nation. It's spread across the world. Now, I say this not to be triumphalistic. These are just stats, Okay. Just stats, they are done research. It's not to be triumphalistic, but to say the narrative that the church is dying is factually incorrect. Factually incorrect. Now, whether we had these stats or not, it wouldn't matter. Because it's going to say we know where it ends because God has told us where it ends. This is his church and he will draw people in and he will grow it, and ultimately the entire world will come under the Lord Jesus. He wins in the end. This is not the Collingwood-Brisbane game. This is not the Broncos denied, who are, you know, I don't want to be a downer, but I'm not building up my hopes. I'm a Sharky supporter as well, so I'm not really that invested, to be honest. Uh, But this is not like that. We know where this ends. No one is pretending, though, that the church is perfect or finished. No one's pretending that. It's messy. God has begun his work and he will finish it. But it happens in us, in each of us, bit by bit, and in all of us together, bit by bit. The manifold wisdom of God is not seen in the deification, the glorification of institutions or the naive belief that this community will be perfect and I will be perfect in it. That is not the case. Paul's illustration here in verse 10, you know, you know all those moments when you're just walking around and you find a massive diamond on the ground and you hold it and you hold it up to the sun 
you know those moments, or does that just happen in Mitchelton? Uh, just in Mitchelton, we find them along all around the place. And you hold this massive diamond up to the sun, and what does it do? The light hits it, and it refracts, doesn't it? And it's beautiful. You'll, you'll have seen videos of that happening. The light hits it and refracts. The diamond itself, you take a diamond into a dark room, nothing. You stick it in the sun, hits it, goes everywhere. Beautiful. Shades of all colours. Multifaceted. The diamond itself has no colour. The church itself, Paul is saying, is this multifaceted wisdom of God. It is God's goodness and love and grace shining into communities, not that they create by themselves, but that they refract because of who they know and what he's done for them. That is what it is. That's what Paul is saying here. There is something different about you here as God's people in this community than there is about the footy club at Mitchelton, which I was a part of for 12 years. We left, no one called, no one cared. It upset me greatly. No, I didn't care because my relationship with them was different. But you are called to be God's people here in this community. You are called. The hope then is this. That's what I want to leave you with. Understanding that truth, that you are not only called to Christ by grace, you are called together by Christ. And the way in which you engage with one another needs to reflect not perfection, not the assumption that you'll always get it right, nor that the people who lead this church will always get it right, or that you will even react well in situations where people don't get it right, nor that it will always be easy, nor that your brokenness will disappear in the next five, ten years, nor that there won't be problems that are so big that you won't know how to deal with them, nor there won't be moments in this church either where you think, what's the point? Are we making any difference at all? Us understanding what it is that sits at the centre of this local church, the way in which we respond when there are problems, is the same way we have been engaged by God with. Will you forgive? Well, that's a question of understanding whether you understand how much you've been forgiven. Will you reconcile to people who have wronged you and seek reconciliation? Well, that depends on whether you understand the depths of the reconciliation and how far God has gone to bring you back. Will you extend grace to people who offend you? Well, that depends on whether you understand the goodness and grace of God in sending his one and only son in order to buy you back though you and I didn't deserve it. Will we stick with each other even when it is hard and exhausting? Well, let me tell you, the source of that is not from your strength or your goodness but from remembering and understanding God has stuck with us and will stick with us all the way. And he provides each one of you, for each one of you, to display the wisdom of God in dragging each other forward, in carrying burdens, in loving and forgiving. When the world looks at the church, that, that is the wisdom of God. Not the size of the church, not the influence of the institution, 
but the things that reflect the gospel in the Lord Jesus. His goodness, his grace, his love, his forgiveness, his reconciliation, his adoption into a family where we did not deserve it. Friends, that is the heart of the local church. Do we see it like that? Let me pray. Father, we know that within our week and within our lives there are so many things going on. Father, we know as well that often church can feel like a a burden or a distraction. And yet our hope and our prayer is that we see the church, this local gathering of your people around your son, uh, as the clear representation, manifestation of where it is you are taking the world, that you have given us to each other, saved us by grace. So, Father, we pray for each local church, for this year at Life Centre, for every church across Australia and the world, that as the world looks at this, they might see not perfection that we're trying to portray, but goodness and love and grace that we have received in the Lord Jesus. And so, Father, in seeing this, that they might come to know him as well and in him have life. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lake. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC. 